0: KQED. Do you remember your childhood celebrity crush? For me, there were a few. There was LL Cool J, Ronnie DeVoe from New Edition, and people give me a lot of grief for this one, Joey McIntyre from New Kids on the Block.
1: I loved uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and she's all that. <laughs> I thought he was like, hell hot.
2: <laughs> you should weigh all that attitude and makeup.
3: Basically, all you have is a C-GPA with a Wonder Broth. I give it up.
0: This week's question comes from someone in love with all that Freddie Prince Jr. represents. In the movie, Freddie was athletic, popular, and white.
1: I wanted that California, San Diego, like, eats fish tacos on the weekend surfer bro that, like, worked out and, like, was totally straight passing, like... Those were all qualities that I wanted, almost because it felt like they were so different from me.
0: Meet Checking Boxes. He's 25, Thai Chinese American, and lately, he's been thinking about why he's only been into the Freddie Prince Juniors of the world, in part because now he's fallen in love with someone who's not white.
1: Dear truth be told, I'm in a relationship with someone who I didn't think I would actually initially be attracted to. And so I'm wondering, how can I navigate my relationship and be authentic to my desires, but also be critical of the ways in which the narratives I've absorbed about who's attractive have affected my sexuality?
0: How much of our desires are truly our own versus what society tells us we should like? I'm Tanya Mosley, and that's the topic we're taking on in this episode of Truth Be Told.
1: Dear Truth Be Told. Dear Truth Be Told. Truth
4: Be Told, I need your help. Movies, books, media, right, the web, all of that is super central to how we think about desire. It it shapes the way we, we think about who's hot and who's not hot, right? That's Amy Suyashi. When I was in high school, I used to think uh, Brian Ellertson uh, was super cute. He was like this dirty blonde guy with big blue eyes, and he was student body president, I believe. I'm not sure. I hope Brian Ellertson isn't listening to this now. (laughs) I am, Brian.
0: Amy is now the dean for the College of Ethnic Studies at San Francisco State University. She's done a lot of research on sexuality, gender, and race. So she thinks a lot about our desires, who we find attractive, and why— Amy now identifies as queer, but in college, she was straight. And during that time, after crushing on all those hot white dudes, Amy made a choice about the types of people she was going to date.
4: All Practically, it seemed like all the Asian women were dating white men. Um, and I, I made a decision in college that I was not going to date a white guy. Mm. I was very very uh, adamant about it. And I became known as as the girl from California who dated Asian-American guys. Were you really popular? Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I was really popular, but Asian-American dudes knew that um, I was their ally, that I, I could see them as potential dating partners. Um, and I, I did have a, a different boyfriend every year that I was in college. I don't know if that's really <laughs> popular, but... Yeah, that's kind of uh, popular. <laughs> but uh, it was seen as something
0: notable. Amy was pushing back against something that often happens. There's a term for when people of color covet or desire whiteness. It's called colonized desire.
4: Colonized desire is when the colonized person has a set of beliefs around beauty and value that's based on the colonial power that has colonized them. And so you could have a colonized desire, you could be like a person of color who likes white folks because you see them as the pinnacle of authority and culture and intellect, right? And that's you know that that's part of what colonized desire is to also not see your own family, your own community as beautiful and attractive and worthy of love. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's also
0: colonized desire. We brought Amy in to help our friend checking boxes with his quandary.
1: Right now, I'm with a partner who has sort of subverted my ideas of what I think my check boxes are. He's five feet tall, so he's significantly shorter than me. And he also has like a higher voice, so he he doesn't have like the deep, masculine, straight passing voice that I've always fantasized about. But... He holds space for me, he makes me feel comfortable, and because of that I've been able to explore my sexuality so much more with him. And these are all things that I've historically not been attracted to growing up as a gay kid and discovering my sexuality. I was attracted to the male lead in a romantic comedy. Um, I was attracted to the guys that are on the underwear packages at Ross. So I'm wondering how can I interrogate my attraction to that while also being authentic in the relationship that I'm in?
4: Amy, help! (laughs) I think it's great that he's thinking about all this stuff. I also think that it's a myth to think that we have an authentic desire. Desire is constantly changing through our life based based on sort of what we prioritize as something that's important to us. What do you mean by that? I think that who we're attracted to when we're 12 may not be who we're attracted to when we're 40, right? Because mm-hmm. we have different priorities. Yep. Um, you know, when you're 12, you, you don't need a partner who's going to help you take care of your parents or who's going to balance their checkbooks so you're not in debt. Like, you can just stare at the underwear guy and, and dream about him, right? But when you're 40, you, there's real-life things that you have to deal with and you, you can't have just an underwear guy right. in your life. When I was 12, it was Joey from New Kids on the Block. <laughs> right.
0: And I'm Not married to Joey today.
4: (laughs) So I do think that we have to give ourselves room to, to not think about like authenticity and what is our true desire. All of our desires are always shaped by social and, and political cultural forces, right? So even if there's a seed of something that's our core desire, that's also shaped and transformed by, by what's around us, who tells us what's beautiful or how we decide to resist that and define beauty for ourselves.
0: So Our question asker in talking about desire and thinking about it in the context of what is a heteronormative um, kind of archetype, really what he's also saying is, I'm finding myself though with a partner that does not exhibit all of those things and I'm finding a loving relationship, but that's in direct conflict with what society is telling me I should also be attracted to as well. How do you work through that?
4: I mean, I I would say my glib answer would be go to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I know. Therapy. Um, But, you know, I think it's okay to have these conflicts. I think that we all have a pulse. We have ways in which that we might be attracted to something that we know is bad for us. Mm. And so then we don't pursue it. Right. So uh, we try to we should try to find things that are good for us and see that as beautiful and and nourishing for us. Right. Because ultimately it's about
0: like seeing the beauty in yourself. If a person that you're with looks like you, or if you're finding yourself not attracted to folks who look like you, what does that really say about your sense of of self-worth and and what you
4: look like? I, I do think that in the US context, it, it really is about self-loathing and the ways that racism works to undermine the beauty of folks of color. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Yeah. I've had so many experiences um, where I'm
0: talking with people and they're telling me, I had this one guy I was working with, bless his heart, I love him. But we were, um, at one time we were working and we were sitting there and he was telling me about this woman that he he had met. And he was like, she was the perfect woman, Tanya. She was just so beautiful blonde hair blue eyes and i'm like you're talking to me why you think i'm gonna sit there and say yes that is the perfect woman it was just sort of like he wanted the affirmation of that and for me to like engage in that i find it so interesting though that society is set up this way where that's normalized where we're all taking part in this idea of what is the ultimate desire
4: I think what's sad for me is that people don't question sort of what their, why their desires are the way that they are. Like if if we're all learning how to be critical thinkers in the world, you know, then we should be able to think about why we like the things that we like. Right. right. Yeah. So really, should we all be taking inventory of
0: ourselves and our desires, like our caller, and thinking about what we desire and the reasons why we desire it, whether or not we move forward with, with anything or go to therapy?
4: <laughs> I think it's important to be self-aware. Um, I, I think that if you're happy, then that's fine, right? Many of us often are unhappy and we don't know why, right? And then it's time to kind of check in with yourself to see what's really going on inside, right? Like, mm-hmm. is it because of the you keep choosing the wrong partner or is it because you... Uh, Kind of hate yourself because of the messages that society gives you. Like, do you feel like you're constantly ugly, even though you're beautiful?
0: Once Amy came out as queer, she opened herself up to dating white women, but not exactly on purpose.
4: So there's there's two things. One is that if if you read this. Uh, this Bridge Called My Back, Gloria Anza Dua. she talked, there's like all these writings by women of color that talk about sort of how they felt alienated by white women. And so I was, that book for me, This Bridge Called My Back was like a Bible for me uh, coming out, be, having consciousness around sort of uh, the the personal as political um, still, uh, when I put my ad on Yahoo Personals, this is a long time ago. When people Back st- when Yahoo yeah, Personals yeah, yeah, was yeah, a thing. Was <laughs> Yahoo Personals. I, fed, I said very specifically uh, that I'd be open open to dating any person except for a white woman. That's what I wrote in my Personals. And then, guess who responded? The o- white women. Only white women, yeah. And they're like, oh, I just want to be friends with you, blah, blah, blah. So, so I decided to meet one of them, uh, and we talked about sort of what book I was reading, what book she was reading, and We dated for a little bit. Um, And this is the person that I said would you know, didn't want to take her shoes off coming into the house, um, and she would t- lift up her shoe and say things like, "Look, the bottom of my shoe is clean, no. so I'm going to walk in." And then she would invite her white friends over to my house, and they would all come in with their shoes off. <laughs> and she was actually uh, the sort of the nicer uh, white woman that I did it. I did it one other white woman also when I was just coming out, and she was totally like a Abercrombie and Fitchad, like the, the yeah. Butch kind, yeah. yeah like super cute, great haircut, you know, dark, dark, like chestnut. hair Hair, right? Yeah. Um and we would do things like we would go camping, but then she would refuse to pitch the tent or cook. And so I was pitching the tent and cooking and
0: So you were the laborer. Yeah,
4: I was the laborer. And remember I told you that I tend to give a lot in relationships. Yeah. So then I felt like what the hell is going What's on going here? On I feel here. like I'm your geisha, honestly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, so I, but I don't want to only talk about the anecdotal. I want to also talk about the fact that, you know, women of color in the 1980s had documented the incredible trials that they had with white women in the feminist movement yeah. um, as they were coming oh, up yeah. as women of color. Yeah. 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 I mean, I just
0: want to say there's sort of an audacity in that you wrote in your ad, <laughs> no white women. The audacity of the white woman to say, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to respond to her anyway and say I'm interested.
4: Yeah, a sense of kind of entitlement. Yeah. Yeah. And so that should also already be a red flag, right? But then, you know, you just still go for it because your heart is lonely. No one's responded to your ad in six months. Right. right? So you just kind of go, maybe you think you're being narrow-minded, right? I mean, I don't know. You know, I have a a, a good friend who's also a mentor of mine, um, and he's uh, Chicano, and he came out later in life, um, and he only wants to, you know, uh, he only wants to have sex with white guys, with Abercrombie and Fitch guys. Yeah. And he doesn't want a relationship, so he's happy having these encounters with Basically, kind of white guys that are not, uh, not you know that don't play a significant role in his life. Yeah, and his sexual desire is satisfied through that route. He also watches porn that are basi- basically Abercrombie and Fitch guys, and and he's happy, right? And so I think that that's fine, right? But Amy, I sort of feel like isn't it a little problematic
0: though when it's like two things? I have a type, and I can't, I can't even open myself up to to these other types of people even people who look like me I actually have a good friend I'm not going to name who she is because she (laughs) probably will hear this podcast but this she says she's Asian she's like I never date Asian guys I would never date an Asian guy only white guys and she's actually married to a white guy now I never said this to her but I always felt like that is truly a problem it's different to have a preference, but then when you're saying, I'm just going to date
4: only. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, but I also think that if she's happy, mm. do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Then that's, that's you know, I would. But it. can you truly be happy if you're that's you're not question. acknowledging yourself through I think that's who a, you love? That's a question for your friend, I think. <laughs> and a therapist, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> You know, for me, I've never dated someone who wasn't black. I've always said my choices are not about rejecting whiteness and more about embracing my blackness. But if I'm really honest with myself, my choices are also about power. In a world where we are constantly bombarded with messages about who's worthy of respect, love and adoration, I hold on to my power by choosing to love a black man. Okay. Now, get something to write on. Amy's going to give us a simple way to decolonize our desires. She also goes deep on how queerness fits into colonized desire when we return. How does queerness fit into colonized desire?
4: So, I think that queerness can both be like, uh, uh, subscribe to colonized desire as well as push back against it. I mean, maybe that's kind of a generic answer, uh, but to be more explicit, like I would, um, say that same sexuality, not radical queer, queer love, but same sex sexuality, right? Um, two, two men that might like each other could actually replicate colonized desire, right? Mm. So it could be a white guy with a younger Asian guy, and it could be a, a classic kind of rice queen oh. uh, relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, on, on the other hand, it, it could totally. Push back against colonized desire, right? So if you're queer, right, as the caller said, you're already like pushing back against all these other things. So who cares? You know, why even try to subscribe, right? Mm -hmm. And that's when, you know, you'd probably break out of the confines more than even a heterosexual couple. So you might be more likely to be interracial among a community of color right rather than being with white folks or you might have uh, be in a coupled relationship with someone of an unconventional body size that's not typically seen as attractive right mm-hmm. um you might be with someone disabled which straight folks may not necessarily do right mm-hmm. and so there's all these ways in which being queer also liberates you from not having to subscribe to these cultural norms mm-hmm. uh, and that's what i i'd really like people to do is embrace their inner queer and be able to define beauty and attraction and love on their own terms, not necessarily by the terms that society dictates.
0: So it must feel good now. I mean, you're in a happy relationship yes, now. Yeah,
4: I've been with my partner for ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, they're also an academic, and they're gender queer, where our politics are aligned, and and uh, you know we're culturally a little bit different because um, they're fourth generation Japanese American and I'm second gen so mm. they're way more Americanized. I'm a little more FOB I like to say. FOB. yeah, Fresh off the boat. Fresh <laughs> off the <laughs> boat. A little bit more
1: <laughs> yeah. Immigrant, so yeah. I like
4: wash Ziplocs uh, they throw them away. Like that's like the, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 But uh, very very happy. And I do know that it's not just because uh, they're Asian American, but it's also because we have a a good personality match. But the fact that they're Asian American is super important to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Are there any specific tools? A step by step guide on how we can decolonize our desires.
4: One thing that w- one you could do is to make a list of all the folks that you found attractive. Right, Mm. Um, and to think about what it was that you found attractive about them, Um, and then to think about whether that those things were a good fit for you, like if you were happy, or you know how did they make you feel? Right, does that make sense? Um, And if it made you feel small and belittled, like your culture was either alien or not valid in the same ways that theirs was, for example, then you probably know that you have. A problem, so I do think that you know, you know, they say make lists, right? Like thinking about who you've been in the past with, in the past, or who you found attractive in the past. Yeah, and think about you know, a column of why, right? And then maybe have a column of how that made you feel. Uh, could help open your eyes again.
0: That's so good, Amy. <laughs> Amy Sueyoshi, thank you so much for being with us. This has been a great combo.
4: Thank you very much, Tanya.
0: I really like this idea of building a list to get a clearer sense of whether who you're attracted to is indeed a preference, a fetish, or to use even stronger language, an actual show of self-hate. So get out your pen and paper or go to your memo and your phone and start that list. I'm also going to give this homework to my producer, Christina Kim, and editor Sandia Dirks. We'll check in with them at the end of the show. But first, a couple that made a conscious choice to decolonize their desires— a choosing each other.
2: Pretty much whenever anyone sees us in New York where we're walking around and if like we're holding hands or whatever or we like we have a kiss and it's just like double takes <laughs> because they just don't assume that we're even together that somehow we're just two strangers standing very close to each other <laughs> on the train.
5: I'm Patrice Peck. I am a Jamaican American, first generation Black woman.
2: I'm Tingjin I am a Chinese American, first generation man.
5: Remember that time you came to um, church with me and my grandma for Mother's Day in Connecticut? Oh, yeah. Everybody was so nice to you at church, that and was like, really nice <laughs> and be. it's an all Black church, <laughs> like a storefront Black church. Yeah. And you came in, and. Somebody from the church, he's like, Oh, like, are you the Uber driver? And we're like, Uber drivers don't come into buildings with
2: you. I didn't have my arm around you. What do you think? Like, I was an Uber driver trying to get fresh with you on church Sunday.
5: <laughs> it's just that jarring moment of, Whoa, my expectations or assumptions were totally wrong. But they also realized there was no indication that what they're seeing couldn't be true and i think if people were to see more diverse representations of interracial couples you know specifically two people of color together then that would open their horizons to who they date it's so funny at work you know a couple of months ago or like last year before people got to know you i would always talk about you and they'd be like oh my gosh you guys like sound amazing and your boyfriend sounds amazing and then some of them like when they saw on instagram or like in person that you were asian they were like oh my gosh i didn't know he was asian but then they as soon as they said that they would say out loud to themselves but i don't know why i wouldn't have thought that like you know what i mean they're like actually like there's nothing to make me assume he wouldn't be. Right. And so we we have people questions their preconceived notions of who can be with who right. and why they think that.
2: It all goes back to our first date just in terms of we really presented to each other who we were and everything that you've said I can't help but think about like everything that you've done has always just been on trajectory of how you wanted to tackle you know um, ideas of representation um, and you know and putting out more positive messages
5: why does representation matter to you um,
2: it matters to me because growing up it was especially in my salt town you know i mean I, I feel like the both of us could we could just go back and forth about all the stories of all the sort of microaggressions that happened um and at that time especially growing up like thinking that's okay like you're just let it slide and how that does eventually wear away at you And, you know, I feel like especially for black women being so sexualized in the media and for Asian American men to be so emasculated, you start believing that, you know, you start believing that in a really deep and profound way. Even to this day, I still sometimes, you know, think about like the dates I've gotten and stuff like that. And I still like wonder about it, you know, like, am I attractive enough?
5: representation is important because it can empower people, but the lack of representation can really, it just reaffirms the notion that like, you're not important you're not like, your culture is not good enough.
2: Me knowing you this entire time, you're very pro-black, you know, black is beautiful and everything. How does that now feel in terms of just us dating?
5: I love black culture. I love being black. Of black music, of black TV, movies, fashion, all that. And so it is noticeable to me, like that all of that's lacking when I'm with your friends and family. But at the end of the day, I'm dating you. You know what I'm saying? Being in an interracial relationship with you has not been difficult because I feel like you understand me, I understand you in terms of what we're going through. And I challenge you sometimes, and you don't take that as an affront
2: always challenge me and push me to learn and in return you also are open to being challenged and wanting to learn and that's what i love most of all
5: i love you (laughs) why are you making that face
0: (laughs) man this couple is beautiful And as Patrice likes to say, they're living the romantic comedy we'd all love to watch. Now, back to that homework I was talking about. My producer, Christina, and editor, Sandia, have been hard at work. Okay, the homework is to write a list of all your former and present lovers. I see you got your pen and paper out.
3: I have doodled hearts on my sheet. I'm ready. Here we are.
0: I like this list you have here. So you've got your list of lovers, and you have their initials, and then a column for what you found attractive, and then a column for how they made you feel.
3: There's a level of, uh, at a, I'm at the certain point of blondness on this chart, <laughs> of like tectonic, t- t- ger- like Germanic oh, blondness, that is just, it's. there's a little shame spiral happening in my heart right now. And it was all about what I wasn't. Oh, definitely. That is exactly what my list is. There are four people on my list, and three of them, of of four of them, three of them are all white, and they were all... Two of that list, they're blonde and they're blue-eyed and they're athletic and they have like that California sun-kissed everything, which is exactly right. I grew up in California. That's what was beautiful. That's what my friends look like, or at least what the popular girls look like that were seen as desirable. And so when I see this, I see myself all over it because I see that when I look at how they made me feel, I'm seeing words like safe and beautiful. And so much of that is because I thought, wow, like if you can love me then I must be worth it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you, this ideal beauty, this beautiful boy, this beautiful blonde boy can love me, mm-hmm. then I must be worth it no matter what they
0: say. What's next now that you guys have been able to see this laid out in this
3: way? What does this reveal for you moving forward? How did I make me feel? Not enough, not enough, not loved, not wanted, not enough. Moving forward, I think what I see and why these relationships ended is because even though I was looking for essentially their approval and for their love to somehow make me love myself, that in the end, what was happening and why they end is because I couldn't be myself. And so what I think I need when I look at this list is to be really intentional about finding a partner who sees me for who I am, and when I'm in it, I want to look at how they make me feel, and I want to see the word me. The kind of things we think that we want, right? What whiteness represents. Everything that is in this package of desire, which we are sold, and which is plated in front of us is tantalizing and as something that we should long for and something we should aim for. Everything about that becomes false the moment you realize that love is about being seen, being held, and being known. And so in the end, desire doesn't have to do with these images that are coming at you. It's something purer and yet messier at the same time. And and it doesn't look like what we think it will.
0: Thank you, ladies, for taking the time to do the work. I know this is not easy. You know, and thinking about our question this week, it all comes down to this. It's impossible to live in this world and not have our desires influenced by the culture around us. Amy Suyashi says it best when she says, it's all okay and perfectly normal, as long as you're not compromising your self-worth or diminishing who you are in the quest to fulfill your desires. And yeah, yeah, I know you may have noticed I did not do a list. Don't worry, I'm going to do it. And I want y'all to join me. Share your list on Twitter at TruthBeToldShow, Show. And I promise I'll share mine too. So, who's on your list? At some point in our lives, we've all asked ourselves one of these questions. Am I Black enough? Am I Indian enough? Am I Korean, Japanese, Latina enough?
2: Am I enough? Sometimes I feel like I'm not Latina enough, like my Mexican identity is sort of stripped a little. That's
0: next time on Truth Be Told. And while
2: you're listening on Apple
0: Podcasts, NPR One, YouTube, or wherever you get your shows, please take a second to leave us a review and a rating. It helps other people find our show. Thank you. Truth Be Told was produced by Christina Kim and edited by Sandia Dirks. Our sound engineer is Enrico Benjamin. Special thanks to KQED Head of Podcasts, Julie Kane, KQED's Managing Editor for News, Vinnie Tong, Executive Editor of News, Ethan Lindsay, and Chief Content Officer, Holly Kernan. Truth Be Told is funded in part by a grant from the California Wellness Foundation with a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. The foundation's vision is for every resident of California to enjoy good health and experience wellness. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Tanya Mosley.